Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning to you. Hi, ladies. Oh, we get a song. We have it. We have a trio. We have a musical trio now. This is awesome. What shall we sing? I feel like we're like the Von Trapps here. I feel like singing Katy Perry's I'm Wide Awake. I'm Wide Awake. (laughs) She's like, that's all I know. That's all I know. That's that's all I know. (laughs) That's the only part of the song that mattered to me. It's a good song. It is a good song. She has a lot of good songs. She really does. And I mean, and she wrote in on a lion. Right, I mean, was it a lion on the Super Bowl? Like, I think I think you're right. Yeah, what a way to make an entrance! Oh man, I mean, look, I've done that before, but nobody like <laughs> nobody acted like it was a big deal when I did it. But Katy Perry rides in on a lion, and the whole world stops. <laughs> before I was extra uh, <laughs> and doing the most, <laughs> and now I'm just trying to be here. Yeah, how's it going, ladies? Happy sun. Day. Am I allowed yeah. to say the day? Okay. Sure. <laughs> yes. Oh no, it's all ruined. Have you like listened to a podcast where they're like, well, when this comes out, it's like a Thursday, but <laughs> yeah, we're not recording on it. This is like Ellen. We tape five episodes in one day <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes out. I feel like that's yeah. fair. <laughs> so we've got a guest, Amy, you want to introduce Devin? Yes. I've only been waiting for this moment since the first day I met her. Uh, Devin is, I, I think of her as mom extraordinaire. She takes, I, I just know her to be someone who takes every single challenge that gets thrown her way. And she's like, well, guess what, guys? I'm going to make every lemon product imaginable from this. <laughs> a lemon <spread>. and, <laughs> and we're going to save the world as we're making these products. That's how I feel about Devin. She's a photographer. She's an entrepreneur. She's a mom. She is one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. And um, she's very tall and she's got really pretty hair. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what matters. That's the reason. That's what drew me to her initially. I was like, oh, this girl. With her hair. Look at you having hair. <laughs> All that Pantene hair just flowing in the wind. The just- Pro V vitamins. You could see them. <laughs> so shiny. That's wow. how I get you. I bring you in with the shininess. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, but I'm a good person too. <laughs> You are, you are. And I'm so happy that you're with us. Thank you for that introduction, Amy. What a wonderful introduction. Wow. That's like the red carpet, Devin. Oh my gosh. It's the lion entrance. (laughs) You get a lion entrance and you get a lion entrance. No pressure. No pressure at all. Oh my goodness. So you're, so you're uh, a lot of things. You're, you're also a mom. What does that mean for you being a mom? I probably shouldn't say this, but I didn't think that I wanted to be a mom until it was staring me in the face. (laughs) I was like, well, I guess we're going to do this. Um, (laughs) And then I was raised by a single mom who, you know, worked 45 hours a week, um, just did it all by herself. And I was like, that's going to be me. I'm going to be a mom in high heels and a pencil skirt, sending emails (laughs) and just like, you know, like this powerful mom. And then I became a mom and I was like, I just want to hang out with you all day, but I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to 
Aww. send emails and <laughs> be a boss. Like I just want to hang out and be with you. And I will tell you, like, I never thought that that would be the case <laughs> at all. Um, so yeah, I really like being a mom. Is it hard? Sure. Is it awful some days? Absolutely. But I don't know. I really, really like it to my surprise. <laughs> you shocked That's- yourself. I totally shocked myself. I shocked my entire family. <laughs> they just shocked me. They were like, oh, this lady. Isn't that amazing though? Like people think they have you figured out and you're like, but wait, there's more. <laughs> exactly. Because I was very, I was always like really go with the, not go with the flow, but kind of like scattered all over the place and I was like, how am I going to have this person that like needs me to be regimented and focused? Mm. And I was like, I kill a plant. Like I'm for sure going to keep If I can't keep a plant alive, how am I going to keep a person alive? Um, <laughs> but I'm two for two. On the- <laughs> 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 Woo! Yes. That's a way to go, girl. Way I'm to keep those it. kids alive. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is too funny. It, but but you, I think that that's the whole thing is like, there's so many just things that we assume. And there's these labels that we have on people, whether it's like, mom, you must be hardworking. You must do all the things, the laundry, the dishes and smile and send the emails. We have these assumptions that we make about people. And then when we get inside of these labels, we find out how constricting they can be. And Mm -hmm. then we get to do something different with it. Right. And I think too, parenting has changed obviously so much since our parents were parents and I kind of made it, not that I kind of made it my own, but I was like, I'm just going to do what I want. I'm not going to have to listen to what they say. I'm a terrible housewife. (laughs) 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 But those two things shouldn't have to be synonymous. Okay. Just because you're a good mom means you can cook like a four course meal and vacuum the house and look pretty like the Betty Draper. She ain't me. Yeah. I'm not her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And once I took that pressure off of myself, it was a whole different ball game. The dishes will be there in the morning. You can do them then, you know, or whatever. You make up your own freaking rules. And I think I kind of felt that at like 30, maybe the second kid. And I was like, I'm just doing, I'm just doing what I want out here. And, <laughs> and it's been helpful. It's been really, really like. I love that so much. That is not how I was raised. True. I, neither me neither. <laughs> I mean, the upset, the obsession with perfection, and the obsession with not getting to show up the way that you actually are. Like, as I mean, my mom was in some ways the exception to that rule some of the time. But I, when I thought about motherhood, I thought about this has to be someone who is in control of every situation and like basically the CEO. I never thought that about fatherhood, always thought that about motherhood, has to be in control of every piece and and helping guide the flow, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I love that you're like, "Eh, this doesn't really work for me. In order for me to really show up here, I'm gonna have to let some of these things just back burner for a little bit that you were able to make that decision and that choice and not feel, uh, you know, like beaten up. I would like to say though, 
it came from years of being beaten up. You know what I mean? Where not to like bash my family members, but they were like, well, you should be doing it this way. And why isn't your house clean? And you know why Uh, we live here. (laughs) So my house isn't clean. Like we're living here. I'm living here with a Tasmanian devil that doesn't, you know, that is just tearing things off the wall. Why am I going to go behind him and clean up every two seconds? We'll get there eventually. But it was from years and years and years of feeling like I was failing, feeling like I wasn't good enough. And then I was like, you ain't paying the bills. I don't care. I don't care. Right. My kids are happy. I let my oldest son, Dean, he's seven. I let him dye his hair blue. And all of my mom's friends freaked out because it was a week before picture day. And very, <laughs> Uh-oh, picture day. Yeah. That's part of the old school looking perfect, being in a button up you know, putting your best foot forward kind of thing. And I was like, who cares? Wouldn't it be awesome when you were 30, 35? Look at me as a second grader with blue hair. I thought it was so freaking cool. (laughs) I just thought that was a really neat thing that he could have. It didn't bother me. What else can you have blue hair? I mean, probably by the time he's an adult, executives will definitely have blue hair. But (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? Like for now. Yeah, totally. you know, we'll figure it out. I've, I've been lucky enough over the course of the years that I've known you to actually watch you parent. And I would watch you like you were kind of an alien because <laughs> I have a real hard time with the, the freeness of it all. And the, oh, if they fall down, it's okay. And they get hurt. And oh, look, they're running. And like the trust, you have this, I think that's the word, you have this just trust and faith in the process of the exploration that children go through. And I think in part, it's because you've worked with children in the past. Um, I know my spouse also has this because he works with children. I'm not around children. So the whole thing terrifies me. Right. But like watching you like letting them run amok and just sitting, sitting there, like just giggling and laughing at how happy and free they are. Totally alien (laughs) to how I grew up for sure. Yeah. Yeah. My mom hates it. My mom hates that my kids are dirty. And by like dirty, I mean like in the dirt, playing in the sand, it's all over them. Experiencing, experiencing the world. Yeah. Right. And when I had my son, I just remember thinking, I want him to trust himself because I'm not going to always be around. And in a weird way that meant running and exploring and, and problem solving himself. I, not that I'm not going to help him and fix it, but I'm going to let him, I'm going to watch him and let him try to figure it out first. And then I'm going to hop. And that was a big deal for me because there were times where I didn't trust myself or I, I still don't trust myself. And that brought anxiety and not almost like not feeling good enough because I had to have everybody else's opinion about yeah what I was doing and how I was doing it. So yeah, I just wanted him to always trust that he was doing what was best for him because he innately, how do you know you're going to fall? Or even if you're going to fall, learn how to fall the right way. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that, that was my ideal. That's so beautiful. I love like, if you're going to fall, learn how to fall the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so much, there's so much shame in, just how I think 
what Amy was talking about and certainly how I was raised where you have to show up and look a certain way and be a certain way and be a certain kind of mom and be a certain kind of kid and, and, and look perfect on picture day. And you are reflecting your parents. You are a reflection of your parents. So then when you are, I mean, the antidote to that, the cure to that is authenticity. And so that's really what's coming out as you're talking, Devin, is just being allowed to show up as yourself. You are allowing your kids to show up wholly and fully. So hopefully they can avoid years of therapy later on, but (laughs) (laughs) where they don't have to figure that out because they already know, hey, I, 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 I went through the blue hair phase already. Right. Right. Um, He had a really hard time, obviously, during Corona, like we all did. His friends were ripped from him. We were all having to hang out on the couch together every day. And he really started showing some big anxiety. So we started doing Zoom with a child therapist. And I'm sure my family was like, excuse me. (laughs) And so then two months into it, she's like, yeah, I think he can graduate. I think we're done here. That's awesome. I I was like, wait a minute. You, you become done with therapy. That is an option. Like if you're not damaged for 30 years, you can actually graduate therapy. Mind blowing. <laughs> that early intervention though is so important. And I think you're talking about something too, that we, a lot of parents are dealing with right now is just the challenges. It's, it's COVID-19. It's mm-hmm. also technology and screens. It's also coming into contact with different parenting philosophies where like you're showing up and there's the PTA sort of mentality of, oh, you didn't home bake your goods for the bake sale, (laughs) you know? So how do you deal with that? Well, I'd like, (laughs) I made like a breakfast for the PTA one day and I was like, um, so amazing. I brought it in my own Tupperware. I was like, I have made it. This is Nirvana. This is mom PTA Nirvana. I have done it. (laughs) Um, and then I got home and I was like, I didn't check the center. (laughs) It was like an egg dish. And I I didn't check the center and I'm pretty sure it was still a little wobbly. So like, even when you think (laughs) you have it all together, life is like, no, no, you actually don't. (laughs) And I think too, And in the world of Pinterest, where you have to be a Pinterest mom and you have to, like I said, cook every meal and have uh, Easter bunny pancakes on Easter and all of those things. If your kids are eating, what what do they care? My kid would actually probably cry that it was in the shape of a rabbit because you don't (laughs) want to like eat a rabbit. It's, It's all different for everybody. And I'm learning. I have a special needs daughter as well. She's almost four, she'll be four at the end of March. And that changed the idea of everything where these parents that had two neurotypical kids that could kind of entertain themselves at some point where you could get all of your Pinteresting done. I don't have that option because one of them is climbing on a counter. She's like swinging backwards in a swing. She's putting something in her mouth. There went my Pinterest hours. You know what I mean? So I think once you become comfortable with yourself or become comfortable with the idea that it's not perfect. It's not like, like you said, I had pantyhose, I had gloves, I had a bow, I had a hat. Like I was always dressed to the nine to give everybody else the show that we were doing a good job and that we were, you know, perfect. But my stomach hurt every day because of anxiety, Mm, because, you know, just anxiety in the world. And I was like, 
I don't, yeah, I don't want to do that. I mean, she always wears a bow. Don't get me wrong, but you know, she's going to be cute, she gonna but be she's cute. definitely like, it's like dangling off of her head at any given point covered in like toothpaste. So, I mean, you know, we're taking bits and pieces, but yeah, just realize that you're, you have different gifts to give your kids and everybody else. We, we uh, talked with Andy already with, with Amy's man, and uh-huh. he talked to us about being a teacher of children with special needs, but it's a bit, it's different when you're a parent. What do you wish people kind of understood about that experience? I think I wish people knew that it's, well, for Lorelai, like she obviously doesn't look special needs. She has Phelan McDermott syndrome. Um, which causes like autistic, like um, characteristics and um, communication issues, but she's the most gorgeous little three, almost four-year-old that you've ever seen, but she is running. She's not talking, you know, and, and she's climbing things and she's climbing people and she's climbing us and she's doing backflips and you, it doesn't, she looks like we're out of control. Like we have no control over her. So I would love for people to give everybody a break. Maybe your kid is a, a turd, you know, and, they, and you do have no, <laughs> you do have no control. But like, I don't, we don't know what's going on. So I think that would be the biggest thing in the special needs community. Like, give everybody a break. Some of these autism parents are sleeping two to three hours a night, maybe, and they're not sleeping because their kids can escape out the door. And, you know, and the neighbors and the police are having to find them and bring them back home. And then they go to Target and their kid has a meltdown and you're staring at them, judging them. None of us work well when we're exhausted. And if you're in constant like survival exhaustion mode, like that's good for nobody, you know, I mean, it's a fact, but it's good. You know, it's good for nobody. You're not helping anybody. And as an outsider, you judging that parent, what's they going to do? You know, what are you, a cool guy for having it all together? No, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> that would be my takeaway. Stop staring. That's, that's great. That's great. I mean, I, it, it just really reminds us. I like what you said about, we just don't know what's going on with anybody. We really don't just like people don't know what's going on with us. And sometimes we react to what's going on in the world. Like, don't you know, I have all of this stuff going on and Hey, maybe people actually don't. And maybe it's an opportunity to be a little vulnerable and and show up a little bit more. I mean, that's certainly something I've, I've learned. I mean, turning 40 was pivotal for me in my life to just being like, why am I feeling like I just have to keep showing up this certain way Mm -hmm. as if that somehow makes me worthy. Yeah. Yeah to show up per- huge. perfectly and, and it's okay to be vulnerable and a little bit messy and to, to show some of my realness and actually people get way more out of reality and authenticity. That's what is inspiring and motivating and catalyzing. And when you do that, it gives other people permission to do the same. Yeah. I think, yeah. And I think that's a huge deal is, I mean, and that's kind of one of the benefits of social media, as much as it is the downfall of it is we're seeing everybody do everything. But when you see somebody else kind of going through something similar or somebody else struggling or sharing their struggles, it's like, oh, okay. I'm not the only one out here 
having a hard time. I'm not the only one, like you said, not showing up as my perfect self 24 seven. And, and it's kind of okay to do that. I, I like that. And I also, so I was born <laughs> not to keep adding, I was born with cleft lip and palate. And so I had a craniofacial birth defect my entire life. And so I always felt like my personality had to be like above and beyond. So you don't see what's going on with my face. Um, and then that kind of turned into giving everybody all of the information at once, because then mm-hmm. you can take it and you can do with it what you will. And if you still like me and still want to hang out with me, then, then that's cool. I've already given you the rundown and I've had to, <laughs> I've had to kind of rein that in a little as I've gotten older, but and not rein it in, but like organize it, I guess a little bit more nicely as I've gotten older. And so I think that is part of like flowing into this like parenting and special needs parenting kind of gig where I'm like, okay, well, here we are. Right. And this is what we are. And if you like it, take it. And if you don't, and some days I put it out there and I'm like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get wrecked for this. I'm going to get backlash for this. Um, and, and people are actually super duper responsive. So that's nice. That's been really nice. That's really nice. So Amy had kind of talked a little bit about you saving the world. (laughs) (laughs) So when we think about heroes and Amy and I did a hero episode a while ago, really it's the everyday kind of heroes that inspire us. And one of the things that you do is be an advocate for your, for your kids and advocate for others. What made you do that? What drove you to, to sort of go look beyond just your children and think this needs to change within the system? I, to go back to the cleft lip and palate thing, I was always involved in that community because mm-hmm. I had a completely different experience. Like my family always stood behind me 100%. My family supported me whatever I needed. And they always had this mindset of we're going to get it done, whatever it is, we're going to get it done. We're going to try to get it done to the best of our ability. Let's do it. And then in the hospital, like I used to go to NYU and they would have me buddy up with some of the other children there and an older, like a big sister, little sister kind of thing. And so I would talk to the kids that hadn't gotten as far on the journey. Mm -hmm. And I loved doing that. I loved helping out. And then when Lorelai got diagnosed, I was like, okay, here we go again. Buckle up. We're going to do it to the best of our ability. We're going to figure it out and leave no stone unturned. And it was really weird. She got diagnosed and then they just give you this weird little swag bag of like <laughs> autism stuff. <laughs> like, welcome to, welcome autism. to the autism party. Welcome. Here's your welcome kit. It, and it, but it literally had, it had all of the information and none of the information yeah. at the same time. Like just a bunch of generic garbage. Well, that, and it's like reading another language when you don't know what you're looking for. Yeah. You know, they give you a little booklet, um, that has like all these doctors in it, all of these different things, all of, all of the different schools in the area, all of, which is an amazing piece of information when you kind of know what you're looking for. Right. Mm. But there was, I was like, what the frick is all this? I don't know how to make heads nor tails of what we're doing here. Yeah. You don't know yet what you don't know. So it's hard Truly. to interpret what's given to you. Right. And so 
I kind of just started spiraling <laughs> emotionally. <laughs> I was just, I was up late at night, you know, doing research and, and finding out what other parents were saying. I um, have an addiction to Facebook groups. I will join a Facebook group <laughs> for anything. I will join it and I will be happy to be in there. So I joined a bunch of autism Facebook groups and I noticed I liked helping parents in there. I, you know, wanted to just tell the people around me. Cause again, like you said, Amy, you don't know what you don't know. And even if that's before the diagnosis, oh, I don't know what I was even looking out for. You know, I didn't even, I wasn't even sure what, what I needed to be keeping an eye on. I mean, I did, cause like you said, I worked in the community beforehand and I saw that train coming, but that is why I share so much. And I want people to know, like, they don't even know where to start. So a lot of the time doctors are telling them, oh, let's just wait. Oh, let's just wait. We're going to wait until your kid is this age. We're going to wait until your kid is this yeah. age. And I'm out here like, can we just get tested? Can we just see what's right. going on here? The wait and see really takes away your power. And then you're just left in limbo. And then that piece of time where you don't have information and you're not being given information is when you create some of the most damaging stories and narratives. And then that that gets embedded in you. Right. And you're sitting there. It's almost like watching the car crash happen and nobody will. I'm watching. I'm going to say the train pull into the station and I'm like, guys, (laughs) it's getting closer. And they're like, no, no, it's supposed to, you know, no, it's fine. The train isn't coming this way. I'm like, no, it's coming into the station. (laughs) I'm watching it come into the station. Mm -hmm. And so we would go to doctor's appointments and they're like, wait a few more months, wait three more months, wait three more months. I'm not waiting. I'm not going to wait until this train gets here. And then I've lost Mm -hmm. six months of time. Like you said, Amy, where I could have been doing something. Yeah. And Amy and I had a conversation the other day where even if I'm doing something, even if it isn't a positive outcome, or even if it isn't doing anything, it feels better than doing nothing. Yeah. You know, like I said, leave no stone unturned. And so I, I was seeing a lot of people being told to wait until three. My daughter has been diagnosed since like a month before she was two years old. Imagine losing an entire year. And ent- we found out that she had a genetic, a genetic mutation in that year, mm. we could be starting from scratch. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it just blows my mind. If like I hadn't fought to get the diagnosis or if I didn't fight to like have someone see her that really kind of believed you us really did fight. Like I remember when you were going through that process and you were being told to wait. And I, one of the things I really remember is you hated the way that some of the doctors were talking with you, like you're advocating for your child and they're treating you like you're just another person. You're just another number. And one of my favorite things about you is when you get upset, it's like someone lights a match (laughs) under you and you ignite and you're this fire walker. And then you're just like, (laughs) (laughs) right. You You explode out. Yeah. And you won't like me when I'm angry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But that catalyst, like that catalyst emotion, that anger in some people, it shuts them down, but in you, it revs you up. And then you started reaching out 
to the far ends, I feel like of the world, you know, right. Trying to get people who would advocate, who would hear you, who would listen, who would help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember them saying like, oh, we're going to wait. And this happens. This happens. Sometimes she's working on other skills. So her verbal goes away. And I was like, she had like 10 words and now we're down to zero words. There was a large regression. And it, I know that like doctors obviously see people every day, babies every day. And they see this kind of stuff every day. And I'm like, but I'm with her 24 seven. Like, why doesn't my opinion count for anything? And I understand that there are like hypochondriacs out there and people that blow things out of proportion. I, I get those things, but I was really shocked at how little they wanted to do for her. And so I ended up contacting, there's a program out of FSU in Tallahassee, it's called the first words project. And you can kind of do a, like a breakdown of the, like what your kid is missing. It's all about communication. And she was under in like eight out of the 10 things that people were supposed to be doing. And it wasn't even that she was delayed. She wasn't delayed until there was this regression where she almost lost all of her skill set socially. She mm-hmm. could still feed herself and walk and do things like that. But socially, she lost like an entire skill set where she was playing peekaboo with her brother, where she was talking and interacting to like a shell of a baby. And everybody's like, well, wait. And I'm like, I have a shell baby. I don't want to wait. <laughs> so we, we drove all the way to Tampa. They had us meet them in Tampa, which is two hours from us to do a di- a diagnostic, but they couldn't diagnose her because they weren't like doctors. It was just part of the program. And so we were able to take that red flag report that they wrote for her and bring it into the necessary teams to get us the referral for the di- developmental pediatrician wow. to get the diagnosis. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. It was wild. There's, there's this whole thing that Amy and I talk about, you know, we, we, which is just intuition. And so you need evidence as a scientist, as a doctor, as a professional, we are trained to look for evidence and for key indicators. And we look for trend lines and we look for all of these things to be able to sort of figure out and formulate a plan. That's important. And it matters. What also matters is the stories and the gut instincts and the intuition and the feeling like something is off here. I need more information. And so sometimes taking that extra step to go and get that in order to be able to take that next step in that journey that requires evidence that I think a lot of people fall short of that because they feel defeated or they just feel like nothing's going to change. So that's where anger, and this is something (laughs) for me, I did my Enneagram the other week, which was really interesting. I don't know how familiar you are with this, but I am, uh, I'm a nine, which is the peacemaker. And I'm full on nine. But what was interesting to read about Peacemaker is that our leading emotion is anger, but it's how we we deal with anger. It is severely repressed and it becomes a whole thing. We build our lives around taking this anger like it's a baby and and protecting it and and sealing it away so that we're like, I'm not angry, look at me. And so I'm like the opposite of you, Devin. Anger is very scary for me. I'm a freeze person. I actually had a dream Mm. last night where it's like, you know, it's fight, flight, freeze. That's my trauma response. And so I'm like, how can I be more of the fighter? How can I be more like Devin? (laughs) (laughs) 
honestly, I'm only a fighter in this aspect when it comes to being a mom. Every other time I'm, I'm a freezer of flighter. So don't feel bad. This is the only place that I'm like overly aggressive. Cause I think it matters. It matters. And, and I had people that fought for me and stuck up for me. And, and then sometimes they didn't stick up for me. And I want my kids to always know that I did everything that I could. I did everything. They're in my, in my care. They were given to me to, you know, live this life. Why am I not going to like mama bear Hulk out for them? <laughs> That's my plan anyway. Well, um, anger, anger is a message, right? It's a message that something's off. It's a message that something's wrong. It's, it's information that you can do something with. And so I think it's just powerful that you took that anger as, as it was delivered as a message and did something meaningful with it for your kids and for others. And, yeah. And like you said, it, it takes a while because you're just in the beginning, you're just angry. It's a part of the grief right. process. You're just angry and you don't know you're angry at God. You're angry at yourself. You think of like your entire pregnancy and you're like the one time I had a McDonald's French fry. This was it. That was the moment. <laughs> like you're just <laughs> mad. And then there's a mad of like not knowing your facts, not, not knowing your facts, but like not being fully informed. And then there is mad of, all right, this is absolute crap. Like we're doing this because then the people that don't know what they're talking about or what, you know, and they say something and you lash out. It's just like, you don't know. I don't know. We're just all mad here. And you're saying stupid, stupid things about a situation that you know nothing about. I, and as you become more of an advocate for your kid and you become more well-versed in what is happening, you don't get as mad at the stupid comments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like she had a, a technician that came, a behavioral technician that came and was applying to be with our family. The lady didn't read any of Lorelai's report that she was given the day before. And her current technician was like, oh yeah, we use a communication device. And then I have these little recordable buttons that you can put that she can push. So it says what she wants. Like we have an eat button and a drink button and things like that. And the lady goes, oh, you'll talk one day. And I was like, here it comes. (laughs) I feel it. And I, I literally looked at her and I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm not trying to be super negative. It is a scientific, like you said, a scientific fact that my daughter will not speak. I'm okay with that. I'm a realist. We've moved on from that. But like for you to come into my home, not do your homework and be like, oh, she'll talk one day. I was like, how dare you (laughs) come into this home? I was like, no, actually she won't. And I haven't felt like that mad about someone's like in a while. (laughs) Usually I'm much better, but that really, that triggered me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. She's not, she's not for us. I'll let you. Just <laughs> <laughs> that was the text message that I wrote to the company. I was like, not a fit. <laughs> that was oh it. Oh my gosh. So you're in this position now where you have this beautiful child who has some needs that weren't anticipated early on. And now you are trying to work with the system that exists. And I'm sure as with all systems, you're finding some major flaws in the design. And um, so what, what kinds of things so far have you like 
felt like you've hit a wall against that you're trying to trying to circumvent? I know this this is going to feel really out of left field, but I feel like there is a real lack of therapy for parents. That Mm. to me was a big thing, like almost like a social work aspect that is completely missing in Florida. I don't know about anywhere else where like, Hey, your child is now quote unquote special needs. Have fun. You're like, wait, what? I also don't think that a lot of people give parents the benefit of the doubt of this grief that you experience of, of a neurotypical quote unquote normal life. Um, and that to me, that is a huge component that is missing. You you're sending these people that don't know left from right in this world. And you're like, take this fragile child, have fun, have at it figure it out for yourself. And you're like, right. And, and they're reeling. So they're having to deal with their grief and their experience and still parent and still function and still have an everyday life. And people are like, well, at least your kid doesn't have, isn't passing away, or at least your kid isn't. Oh gosh. And, and it's so hard. And you feel the guilt about that too. You know, you're like, well, okay. At least my kid doesn't, you know, isn't ill. And, and and there's that. And I shouldn't feel bad. Like you should be allowed to grieve however the frick frack you want mm-hmm. to feel. And I wish that there was a mental health component for parents and even for the kids and the siblings that I feel is missing mm-hmm. yeah. and I, that I would really like to sure. look into yeah. in a couple of years. Yeah. I could totally see you doing that. In a perfect world, I would love for it to be like part of a developmental uh, pediatrician's office where like the parent goes in for their diet and the child go in for their diagnosis. They get the diagnosis and they're like, by the way, talk to Mary. <laughs> Mary's going to, Mary's going to tell you that it's going to be okay. Like a progression instead of here's your autism swag bag, go to ABA, have fun, <laughs> figure it out. Mm-hmm. And for Lorelai, there's a whole other host of doctors involved than just therapists. And nobody tells you when to kind of look into those other things. There's no playbook. You yeah. know, everybody, every, even though everybody's playbook is different, there's still not a playbook unless you go looking for it. Why can't we just be like here? Here it is. Yeah. Here Why can't is. we arm people with the information they're going to need, not only to manage what's ahead of them, but to manage their anxiety and fear about the situation they've just been handed. Right. Yeah. And like, when you think about the fact that all of these different things cost so much money, mm-hmm. you so would much money. think the, the amount of money we're paying in insurance and, and we're getting billed and you'd think that they would do a little more to help you than the bare minimum. Right. Right. Wouldn't you want to help me? Wouldn't you want to be in the best, have us all doing our best? Because guess what? You girl gained 35 pounds <laughs> after that diagnosis because I was in survival mode and I was eating my feelings. But do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Now I'm not the healthiest that I could be. And, you know, it takes there, a toll. Just, right. There are just so many aspects of it. And I'd like to say really quick, I was reading this blog. I don't remember what it was when you're on parenting, you're on an airplane and you're like, okay, we're going to London. It's going to be amazing. We're going to see big Ben. And then your child gets diagnosed with something. <laughs> okay. Well, the plane didn't go down, but you like, 
ended up in Spain. You're like, wait a minute, we're not supposed to be in Spain. This wasn't on the itinerary. So it's not obviously the end of the world, but it is definitely when you, when you think that's where you're headed and that's where the plan is. And then you wake up and you're like, we're in a different country and I don't speak the language. Mm-hmm. You know, it that is the shock too. So I, I really liked that analogy of it. I've talked to Andy about this a lot because as a special needs educator, he often sees firsthand the grief that parents are dealing with and all five stages show up and It's no joke that a parent really has to kind of, in a way, say goodbye to the child they thought they were going to have and say hello to the child that they now have. And it's like, you, you can't set up any equation where those two points are equivalent to each other. It's a completely new equation, Mm -hmm. new variables, new everything. And that grieving process is real and it's normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that is a huge thing that we have to get out there. Like it is okay to grieve the loss of what you thought once was it's okay to grieve. Like I'm scared. My daughter's gorgeous. I'm so scared that she's going to get bigger and somebody's going to take advantage of her sure. because she can't speak. Well, she's mean as heck, but <laughs> not about her specifically, but like, <laughs> You know, you have those thoughts as a parent, like your job is to protect your children and to think that you might not be able to do so. That was a whole couple of weeks of the spiral that I went down. And I feel like that needs to be normalized. Yeah. I'm a photographer and every wedding I would watch the father daughter dance and boo hoo hoo that my husband isn't going to get to have that experience. And people are like, you don't know. No, listen. Again, this is the plane we're on. We're in Spain. Stop telling me that we're going to go visit somewhere else. Right. Here we are in Spain. Right. And we're at the point where we're getting okay with it, but there are still some father-daughter dances where I'm like, because <laughs> yeah. I'm sad for my husband too, you know? Yeah. So I'm grieving for everybody. <laughs> Not just grieving That's, for myself. <laughs> it's, it's what moms do. A lot of times they feel, they're just naturally empathic, a lot of them, and they feel everybody else's pain. Right. So that's, I'm, I'm grieving for everybody over here. Yeah. That's a lot to manage. You recently, you recently got fed up with um, an administrative process involved in the whole sort of package that comes with your daughter. You got fed up with it and you decided that you were going to take it on yourself. Can you talk a little bit about that? I honestly still have no idea what I'm doing. I'd like to put that out there first. <laughs> um, we had a behavioral company and it's called ABA. It's the type of therapy that it is. And the company that we were working for increasingly made us feel like we were more of a number than a client. A part of having autism, a, a major thing is having consistency and building those relationships and things like that. And the company like let a bunch of things fall through the cracks and she loves her current tech. I mean, they have a great time together. The lady is like flipping her in the air and she's spinning her and she's squeezing her and they go out and they play in the water and they're doing their, you know, their therapy in the water and things like that. And because 
the administrative part of this company let things fall through the cracks, we're losing our tech. And I have been scrambling for two weeks to try and get this, like, how do I save this? How, how can I possibly keep this person in my daughter's life who my daughter has bonded to in the last two months? And the ABA company was like, well, we'll send someone new out. How, how great for you. Thank you. I don't know. And it just made it feel like she wasn't, There's she's not a real person. She's not a real person. It's like, oh, your refrigerator broke. We'll send a guy out to fix it. You know, it's like, no, that's not how any of this works. My refrigerator has feelings. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so I, my daughter's name is Lorelai. Just for Lorelai, I wanted to create this ABA company where she could have her tech. She could have her, it's called a BCBA therapist who like creates the program for her. We love those two ladies so, so much. And I figured, well, if I make a company and they work for me under a contractor, I can do the administrative work. I can, you know, find a company that does the billing. I can get it all figured out. Yeah. Just kind of, just kind of put me in a direction. So on Friday, I bought the LLC. (laughs) (gasps) Wow. I'm going to get, I'm like getting emotional thinking about this because I'd like to state, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) That doesn't even matter. Just the fact that you didn't take no as no, the fact that this door closed on you and pretty much anyone else would be like, I guess we have to take this for what it is and just accept this. And you know, the right things to accept and you know the right things not to accept. Like you accepted your daughter's diagnosis. You accepted, you know, what her life may look like, the good and the bad, but you do not accept these sort of man-made structures. Right. The half-assery of it. Yeah. That's really what it is. And God, when you told me that I like was taken aback and so inspired. Thank you. And I just wish more people who are struggling with anything, especially anything where it's a flaw in administrative design could take it upon themselves to find an out of the box solution. Because we have like, we have to be our own advocates and truly you model that you model that while you don't feel like you model it gracefully. I actually, (laughs) there's a lot of grace in how you model it. And it's very authentic as Sultana was saying earlier, you Mm -hmm. really bring authenticity to all of it. And I, I love that so much. Thank you. I think too, once I realized that I was in control of my daughter's doctors and therapists and who was involved in her care, that was huge. I think again, growing up as like eighties and nineties kids, we were always taught doctors, police officers, teachers, adults, you don't question them. They are, they're the professionals. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm the professional when it comes to her. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm the professional when it comes to her. And that day was life-changing where I was like, oh, oh, I don't have to like this. I don't have to like this doctor. I don't have to, unfortunately people in like smaller towns and smaller cities don't have as much option as we do here in Orlando. We're kind of really blessed to have such an array and plethora of people to choose from, but that was big for me. And I think that 
kind of led to this. Uh, I'll start a company. <laughs> I guess I'll, I guess I'll do that. That's amazing. We are definitely inspired. And I think some people will be not to bring it back to the beginning, but wide awake during this, <laughs> hearing this conversation, hearing this message, what you've done for not just your daughter, but for, for so many other people and how you have transformed, um, transformed all of this into really just an incredible, an incredible journey. And who knows what's going to come next, but we're right. excited to hear hear how all of this starts to progress for you. We'll do a (laughs) follow-up. Where are they now? (laughs) She's on the cover of Forbes. (laughs) That's right. You'll be in your pencil skirt. Yes. Yes. Sending them emails. Sending emails. Oprah, Oprah, are you listening? Oprah? (laughs) I know. I'm going to do it. Well, and that was the thing too, because then I like, then I spiral into bigger things. I'm like, well, I can like have more kids come on. And then I could have that, you know, social work aspect where everybody's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, okay, all right, let me calm down. One kid, <laughs> my kid. <laughs> we'll figure that out first. Yeah, yeah, this is just one step in the journey. Thank you so much for talking with us. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. It's beautiful to see your faces this morning. Yay. Yes, this is great. All right, ladies, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.